So I don't know if this is an apocryphal story or true. Whichever it is, it makes a really important point. But it's about two teachers who were each applying for the same job. The job was to be a vice principal at a local high school. One teacher had eight years' experience, and the other teacher had 20 years. Everybody thought the veteran of 20 years would get the job, but he didn't get the job. And so he was very upset about it, wrote a letter to the school board, reminding them of his 20 years of service. Well, the school board wrote back a letter and said to him, we acknowledge your 20 years of service, but whereas the other teacher had eight years of experience, you really had one year's experience repeated 20 times. You got to think about that one a little bit, don't you? Because the point of that little parable is simply this. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Just because you've been a Christian for 20 or 30 years doesn't mean you are spiritually mature. You could be a believer for five years and be more mature than someone for 25 years because it's all about, am I letting God change my life? That's what it means to grow mature in Christ. So what is that process like? We want to answer that. And so would you turn with me to 2 Peter, a little letter that Peter wrote, 2 Peter chapter 1. And while you're doing that, this is the last message in our series, God Can Be Known. If you missed any of the messages, they're available online. And I want to welcome any global partners that we have with us uh, today. And I hope that after our service, you won't rush out. After all the Vikings played already, I'm told. And uh, you can spend some time in the hallway meeting our global partners and finding out if you're interested in short-term missions. Maybe you want to go. Maybe you're interested in missions, missions itself, becoming a missionary. Pastor Richard will be straight out those doors. He'd love to answer any questions you have. That gave you enough time to find that little letter, which is not easy to find. Listen to how Peter starts his letter. He starts with himself. He says, Simon Peter, and we'll come back to why he does that. A servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So we're going to focus on Simon Peter for a moment. And I want you to remember this phrase, faith as precious as ours, because it's really important. Now, the first principle when it comes to what it means to mature spiritually is this, that it's not exclusive. Spiritual maturity, spiritual formation is not exclusive. It doesn't just belong to those who've been to seminary. It's available for anybody and everybody. And we all, all have to start at the same place. And that means we've got to recognize the fact that we're all spiritually dead without Christ. What we need to do is hear the voice of Christ like he spoke to his first followers. Come and follow me. Get out of our boat, so to speak, and leave behind who we've been, what we've been about, and go on the journey with God. Now, Spiritual maturation or spiritual maturity is a process. It doesn't, it doesn't happen instantaneously. And I have a feeling that Peter, when he left his boat there in Luke chapter 5, probably thought he was going to be the greatest disciple ever. Probably thought that, you know, he was mature enough already and that he was really going to help Jesus out. Well, what happens is Peter discovers in the company of Jesus how immature he really is. I mean, Peter, think about him, if you know about his life, boisterous, obnoxious, self-centered, jealous, 
Fits of anger. Sounds a lot like probably somebody you know, huh? He was rather immature. Isn't it amazing that Jesus would call somebody so immature to follow him and make him one of his three best friends? That gives all of us a lot of hope, doesn't it? Because it doesn't matter how immature you are. The question is, how are you being changed? Am I letting Christ change my life? Am I in the process of growing and becoming more like him? Now, the temptation Peter had, we all face it, is to try to become like Christ in our own strength. When I try to do it in my own strength, I'm going to fail. Just like Peter, when he stepped out of the boat on water, if you know that story, everything was fine. He actually was walking in water until he saw the waves and the wind, and he began to sink. Or Peter, who boasted to Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll die with you if I have to. And then what happens? When the moment came to stand up for Jesus, he denied Jesus. And in every instance, Jesus had to rescue him because Peter kept trying to do it Peter's way, like we have a tendency to do it our way. That's why I asked you to think about that word precious for a moment because not only does that word mean valuable, okay, it also means potent. So it's saying to us that God has given us this very valuable, potent, powerful faith. It's not a faith I muster up for myself. It's a God-given faith that God then says he wants us to use, to exercise like our muscles, to exercise, to grow in him. If you don't exercise your muscles, they atrophy. You've got to use them. And so we need to use this faith that God has given to us. Let's keep reading. He says, grace and peace, this comes from God, be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Let's stop there for a moment. You have everything you need to live a godly life. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what you've been through. You've got everything you need because you've been given something very special. He says, through our knowledge of him who call us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In other words, what uh, Peter is saying to us in that passage is, you've, God's given you what it takes for you to grow. He's given you what it takes to become like his son. It's not from you, it's from him. So my daughter Bethany and I are very interested in ancestry. And uh, she's been kind of researching the, you know, the different sides of our family and feeding me the information, which I'm fascinated about. And uh, knowing that I'm interested in who we came from, where we came from, my wife on my birthday a couple of weeks ago bought me one of those DNA kits that you can do, Ancestry.com, which made me really happy because I'm excited about that. Uh, I said, why don't you get one? She goes, I don't want everybody to know my DNA. I said, okay, whatever, all right. So uh, she bought it for me, and I was very excited. I thought, you know, I'm sure in here is probably some kind of a little, little gadget that I use to poke my finger, and I'll squeeze out a couple of drops of blood, and I'll send it in, and they'll analyze my blood and see my DNA and send me back a report of what percentage I am of all these different things. Well, I was, I was shocked when I opened it up and found out all they want is my spit in a tube. I actually, I felt kind of insulted by that. It's almost like saying your family ain't worth spit. 
And I know that ain't good language, but that's just how it made me feel. And then I realized, according to Scripture, my family ain't worth spit. That what I really need is a different kind of DNA test. A DNA test of a blood that's not my sample. Let me show you what I mean. This comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Told you it wasn't worth spit. All right? In other words, there's nothing that you've received from your ancestors all right, and your family lineage that's somehow going to provide you this ability to, to please God. You don't have it in you. He says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ. There's that word precious again, valuable, potent. For it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. What Peter's saying is, look, God has placed in you his own DNA to produce the fruit that he wants, to produce the presence of his son in you and through you, which is pretty amazing. So what is that DNA's place in our life? Well, the blood of Christ is one who forgives our sins, right? Makes it possible for us to receive God's DNA, which is God's spirit. So listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. He says, but you are, he's talking to believers, right? But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And by the way, that's what spiritual growth is. That's what spiritual formation is. Less of me, more of God, giving more of myself away the Spirit of God. Verse 10, he says, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God through the blood of Christ. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by his same Spirit living within you. Why don't you do me a favor? We've done this before. It's not hard. Why don't you find your pulse beat? So you can do it on your wrist. You can do it on the side of your neck. Uh, just humor me and do it, will you? It's got a point to it. And if you can't find it, tell the person next to you right away, all right? But uh, so you feel your pulse, right? You find your, you forgot your pulse, okay? So you're like, I'm not going to do it. I just refuse to do things I'm told. Okay, whatever, all right? So you found your pulse, right? Now, let me ask you a question. Can you see your heart right now? Probably not. How do you know your heart's beating? Because what? You feel the pulse, right? You can stop because you feel the pulse. Can you see the Spirit of God? No. <laughs> How do you know the Spirit of God is there? You can feel the pulse. You can know the pulse. And the pulse is the change that he's producing in your life. And we can see it in each other. At least we should be able to see it in each other as well. But you know what's interesting to me is how often, in my own life at least, how often I, I face my responsibilities, I face my relationships, I go do life, and I do it in my own strength, in my own power, and I fail. I panic, I get anxious, I get uptight, I get angry, I get upset, because I'm drawing from me, and it doesn't work. It's like, I gotta, I gotta stay conscious of the presence of God. Are you conscious of God's presence in your life? You're drawing from the well of his presence. Is that how you go to school, students, when you go to school, drawing from his presence, when you're dealing with your parents who aren't always easy to deal with, all right? Are you drawing from his presence? Parents, are you dealing with your kids? Are you drawing from his presence? Your folks are married, are you drawing from his presence? 
you're single, with your friends, you're, you're searching for a relationship, or you're drawing from his presence, that becomes a very important question. Because you see, it's not who we are. I'm sure you've heard this before. It's not who we are, it's whose we are that Peter's emphasizing. And we belong to God. You belong to God, and I belong to God. And it is God who wants to produce his presence in us, which takes us then to our second principle, and that is that spiritual maturity is not only not exclusive, but spiritual maturity is meant to be a dynamic experience. It's meant to be a dynamic, explosive, powerful experience. But most Christians look like they've been, you know, sucking on sour persimmons, right? I mean, a lot of us just look, can you imagine going uh, uh, to a, how many have been watching the World Series, all right? How many, uh, let's find this, how many Houston Astro fans in the house? Anybody? Oh, good, all right? That's who I'm cheering for, all right? How many uh, Dodgers fans in the house, all right? How many disappointed Twins fans in the house? Yes, of course, right? Okay, well, I mean, if the Twins were in the World Series right now, you guys would be festively dressed, you guys would be exciting, especially if the games have been exciting as the current World Series is. You'd be like on the edge of your seats. Man, that describes Sunday morning, doesn't it? <laughs> Spiritual maturity is a dynamic experience. It's a dynamic experience. Why is it a dynamic experience? Because God lives in me. God lives in you. Listen again to what he says. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Remember that word. We'll come back to it in just a second. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Not just a head knowledge, but knowledge that saturates the whole life. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So no excuses. You can live a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Moving on, it says the next verse. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. So God's in us, right? We are in him, Jesus said in John 17. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desire, we're now being led by the spirit. For this very reason, he says, make every effort to add to your faith. Now, this faith is a God-given faith. We already learned that. It's precious, right? So we're to add to this, we're to act on this with goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and a perseverance, godliness, and godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Now, all these things we are to add are God-given. What I think it means when it says add to these, it means now begin by faith to exercise these things that God has placed in your life with the presence of his spirit. Because it's like a muscle. If you don't exercise the muscle, it atrophies. So the presence is there. The potential is there. I've got to be willing to act on it. Now, let's go to that word abundance for just a moment. And we're, the word abundance relates to a, a Greek word, which refers to the planting of a seed that grows up to become a plant that produces a lot of fruit. So years ago, when Marsh and I were living in California in our backyard, we decided to plant uh, seeds for a giant sunflower. And so we planted those little seeds and we watered it and fertilized it. And we were amazed at the sunflower that came out. And it, I thought the thing was going to become a tree. It was huge. And it created this sunflower that's about this big around and it was filled with hundreds, if not thousands of sunflower seeds. That little seed produced so much. 
God says, I want to plant my seed, my, my spirit in your life, and I want to reproduce so much in your life. Those things that, those qualities that we just saw a couple of moments ago. You know, if you turn over one chapter to chapter two, Second Peter, he describes little, he describes little infants, babies, who crave their mother's milk so they will not only survive, but so that they'll thrive, so that they will grow. He says, in the same way, you ought to crave the milk of God's word, crave God, crave his truth. Now, how does an infant grow? They grow from the inside out, okay? They expand, so to speak, up and down and sideways as well. We have a tendency, however, to think of growth as an outside-in experience. And that's why I brought my Legos. I thought maybe I'd get bored with the sermon and I'd have to have something to do, all right? When, the, when my grandkids are in town, it's one of the only times I go to the Mall of America, we will go to uh, MOA and we'll visit Legoland. Anybody ever been to Legoland? Pretty impressive. I am amazed by the contraptions and characters like the Transformers or the helicopter that they build with Legos. I mean, it's phenomenal. Don't you wish you owned? Don't you wish you were the founder of Legos? You invented it? You would tithe to God's church, wouldn't you? All right? But how does a Lego work? All those things they build start with one Lego, and then they, they connect something to that Lego, right? They add to it, and they add another Lego to it. In other words, they add from the outside, and then they, they build something with it, like a factory with a chimney or something like that, right? I thought that was remarkable. Anyway, um, they build from the outside on top, okay? This is called... Religion. Religion is when I try to grow spiritually by doing the right things, by going to the right places, by saying the right thing, by observing the right things, by partaking of the right things. You don't grow by religion. Not bashing religion, but you don't grow by religion. You grow by relationship. And the relationship is in here. And it's meant to come out not to be added on to. And I'll give you an example from history. John Wesley, all right? John Wesley is the founder of Methodism, the Methodist church. John Wesley was serious about wanting to grow spiritually, but he thought it was about what he should do that would grow him spiritually. So he decided to go to Oxford University and study theology. And then he got some like-minded, like-minded friends together and they formed what was known as the Holy Club. Now you're already in trouble, right? When you form a Holy Club. Hey, you want to belong to our club? Here's what you've got to do. Kind of reminds me of Pharisees and Sadducees. And so they would go to chapel every day. They'd take the Eucharist every time it was offered. He became ordained as a priest. In 1728, he left this new continent called America to be a missionary. Ten years later, 1738, he's back in London, when on Aldersgate Street, and I've not been there, but I'm told there's a plaque marking the spot, he has this spiritual epiphany. God speaks to him in a profound way. He'd been reading the commentaries of Martin Luther on Galatians and Romans, and he has this aha moment when he realizes, I can't be spiritual in my own effort. I can't do it. I need God to be spiritual in me. And he calls that his conversion moment. And his life was changed from then on. I've been watching a, a documentary on Martin Luther and the Reformation. I was watching a little bit of it last night. It's kind of a historical doc, uh, drama type of thing. And they have these theologians speaking at different times throughout the drama. And, you know, Martin Luther was a guy who tried to 
tried to live a perfect life, a Christ-like life in his own strength. And he just got so frustrated because the more he tried, the more he found himself to fail until he was reading the book of Romans and Galatians and came to his aha that I'm not justified by my efforts. I'm not justified by, by going through all these disciplines and, and crawling on my knees and beating myself and throwing myself in a cell and starving myself. That's not what makes me spiritual. What makes me spiritual is what Christ did for me. I've been justified by the blood of Christ. I just got to trust what God's done for me. That's relationship. And that, that is what Peter says produces then the fruit of God's presence. And he gives us an example. He talked about goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. All being produced by God's presence in us. Paul talks about it in terms of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. The ones that he doesn't have are joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. I think there's about 13 up here. Here's what I'd like you to do. Like all of our students do this as well, please. I want you to choose just three of these that you'd like to work on in your life that you would like God to produce more of in your life. Now, if you're having a hard time figuring out which three, ask the person next to you if they know you. Your spouse would be more than happy to tell you. Your children would love to tell you. Your parents would love to tell you, all right? Just choose three, write them down, okay? Why are you doing that? Let me explain the difference between being this way in our own effort and this way as a result of God's power in our life. Let's take love, for instance. Boy, I need to grow in that area of my life. You know, I, I, can, I can love people on my own, but I love the people that I like on my own. I love the people who are lovable. I love the people who love me. It takes an act of God, spiritually speaking, to love somebody that's not lovable. It takes an act of God to love someone who's betrayed your love. It takes an act of God. It takes all his strength and all of his help. Or take joy for a moment. I can be joyful, especially when everything's going well. That's actually called happiness. It's based on your happenings. But spiritual joy is when I am going through the thick of it, when there's no human reason to be joyful, but I find joy because of who Jesus is and what he is in my life. None of those things happens on its own. I need the presence of God. I need the daily awareness in my life of his presence. I need to give him the right of way to produce that through me, no matter what my circumstances are. See why you can't do that on your own? See why you need the presence of God to do that. All right, so spiritual maturity is not exclusive. Spiritual maturity is dynamic. Thirdly, spiritual maturity is a gradual process. It is a gradual process process. Not into bumper sticker theology, but it is true. You see sometimes a bumper sticker, I haven't seen one for a long time, says something like, be patient with me, God's not through with me yet. Or be patient, God's not through with me yet. That's really true. That's really true. And there's a good reason why, why it's gradual. We take time. Take, it, take an infant. You know, an infant doesn't wake up the next morning and they're an adult. I, you know, when we were having kids, I had some bizarre dreams about that. I don't know, anybody, any parents ever had the dream? Where like, in my dream, my kid is born and they're six years of old age already, right? And then, you know, or a dream, you know, when your kid's a toddler and all of a sudden they're an adult. It's like, where did all the years go by, right? It's, it's a process, right? We are also a process as well. 
And that's because you've got to groom, you've got to train, you've got to raise a child. And the same thing is true. God, God took time to change Peter's life, and God takes time to change our lives. Now, it's not because God is a slow poke. It's because we're slow to change. We're resistant to change. So Marsha and I love trees, and, and uh, years ago, or wherever we have lived, we've always planted trees. And, and we were living in California. We planted my most favorite tree in all the world. I love blue spruce, but, but this is my favorite tree. It's a blue Aptos redwood tree. They only grow... Uh, in Northern California, especially on the coast. So if you try to plant them away from the coast, they're really hard to grow. You got to make sure they get lots and lots of moisture. So I planted seven of them. They're all about seven feet tall in my backyard. And a friend of mine who's just an outstanding landscaper um, helped me with it. He said, first of all, you got to build a a hole that's twice the size of the root ball of these trees. So I, I, I dug through there and, and, and made these big holes. He said, now I'll go out. And he said, this is really important. And buy drain pipe, plastic drain pipe. And he says, get it in three-foot sections or cut it to three-foot sections. Make sure it's perforated. He said, place one drain pipe on one side of the tree, another drain pipe on the other side of the tree a, a few inches away. Fill the drain pipes full of drain rock, then pack it in there with dirt and then obviously fill the entire hole with dirt so that the, the tree is planted in. He said, now the reason I wanted you to do that, he says, is so that when you're watering that tree, the water finds its way to those plastic drain pipes, filters down through the stones, goes out the perforations, but most of it drains down at the bottom. Now, if you don't water redwood trees well, what happens is they send their roots out shallow and when a big windstorm comes in the winter or the Santa Ana winds in the summer, they fall over. So you got to get those roots down deep. He says the way you do that is you put the water down deep and then those roots go down and they get anchored. And because you got the pipe and the stone and you're watering purposely, they get plenty of water. So I did all of that. And I'm happy to tell you that 16 years later, this past August, when Marsh and I drove by the home where we used to live in, I looked, and in the backyard, there they were. My seven-foot trees were now like 70 feet tall, huge and tall. They're like my children. And I'm not a tree hugger. But I wanted to go back there. And my wife said, well, let's go. I said, I'm not going to go in the backyard. I said, we don't even know these people. It's been a long time. But I wanted to go back there and just, just be proud of my kids, <laughs> so to speak. It was amazing. They were just up there and waving in the wind. God says, that's what I want to see happen in your life. I want you to grow up and grow out. But in order to grow up and grow out, you got to grow deep. How do you grow deep? And by the way, when I say this, and I always hesitate to say this because when I talk about growing deep, I'm not talking about accumulating head knowledge. There are a lot of Christians who have tremendous head knowledge about God, and they are very shallow people. Just having a lot of knowledge about God in the Bible does not mean it's like the teacher thing. You can be a Christian for 20 years, accumulate a lot of Bible knowledge in your mind, but if it never gets out of your life, doesn't change your life, it's not worth spit. So I need to take in the word of God so I can produce the fruit of the word of God out of my life. I need to be a man or a woman of prayer so I, so I stay close to God's heart. I need accountability of like-minded Christians to keep me growing, to keep me accountable to truth and obedience and what is right. I need to give way to the Spirit of God every day in my life so he's living through me and I'm not living out of myself. And that's a gradual process because the truth is we're pretty, we're pretty bad soil. 
We are. Paul talks about this in Galatians 5. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Other places the Bible call it the wicked desires of flesh. I will tell you, I have some wicked desires in my life. Anybody else own that with me? That you have wicked desires in your life? That you're all willing to say, yeah, you do, Dale. But, <laughs> but we all do, right? We all have them. We all have them in our life. And you'll have them in your life, even if they're latent, they will be there waiting for the moment. Because look what he says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Boy, I know that every day, don't you? And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You students know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's hard to be a student these days. The world they live in, the culture they live in, the pressure that's put on them by their peers and, and what they see and experience in the media is this battle. Do I listen to God? Do I do what is right? When it's so much more fun and easier to give in to my fleshly desires, which the world is always stoking, always stoking. So, you know, there's that little rhyme. I think it ends something like this. How does your garden grow? And I would ask you the same question. I would ask myself, how is my garden growing? Because what grows is what you feed, right? So what are you feeding right now? Your flesh or the spirit? I hope you're feeding the spirit. It is indeed a gradual process that we work through. Last principle, all right? Spiritual maturity means never forgetting to remember. Let's say it together. Spiritual maturity means never forgetting to remember. Don't forget that. So what does that mean? Listen to what Peter says. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, all, we saw the qualities, you know, goodness and patience and love, etc. It says, for whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So in essence, what Peter says is don't ever forget what God has done for you. His blood that was shed for you, the sins that have been forgiven. You've been declared not guilty. He's put in you a spirit. You have the possibility of producing the very presence of Christ. That's called godliness. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. So David writes in Psalm 103, he says, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I could have spent another hour just on that verse. Read Psalm 103 on your own. It talks about the benefits that you should be claiming right now. You know, we're, we're all into healthcare benefits these days. I wish we were as passionate about our spiritual benefits. Or Asaph writes in Psalm 77, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Now, that's what he's saying is, God, I'm going to remind myself of what you've done because sometimes we go through a drought in our life. We wonder where God is and it leads to doubt. And it's in those moments we need to remember what he's done in the past by faith knowing he's going to act again in the future. That right now, maybe God feels silent in my life, but when God is silent, he's the loudest because he's getting ready to do something. He's working your life. He's strengthening you to trust him and him alone. But listen carefully. There's one thing I want you to remember. I want you to remember that God in Christ forgets 
your sins. Did you catch that? I want you to remember that God in Christ has forgotten all about your sins. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Isn't that beautiful? The other day, something was really bothering me. And just, you know, you, sometimes you see your own failures in your own life and your own inadequacies or, you, or, you know, you five steps forward and, you know, three backwards. I was really frustrated with myself. And, and I found myself reminding God of my past sins. And as I was doing that, I realized I'm telling God about something he's chosen not to remember anymore. Why am I bringing it up? I don't need to go back there. That's forgiven. This is a new day. I heard a statement by a lady many, many years ago that I've kept all the way from my seminary days. And she simply said this, God is the God of new day starts. And I've never forgotten that. I love that about God. He's the God of new day starts. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 in the New Living Translation, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Spiritual maturation, spiritual maturity, spiritual growth, spiritual formation, whatever you want to call it, is not exclusive. Anybody can be a godly person. Anybody. No matter what you've done in the past, God forgets if you ask forgiveness. It's dynamic. It's gradual. Remember who God is. Remember what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We want to follow you, Lord. And Father, sometimes following you is a bit of a challenge. But we want to follow you. And God, we know that you'll take us places sometimes to strip us of ourselves, to get us that place where we're fully dependent on you so you come through. So God, we want to follow you no matter where you take us no matter what we go through. We just want to follow you. Lord, I pray that you hear our voices as we sing out our desire to follow you in these next few moments, Lord. And we would be the men and women and students that you want us to be, godly men and godly women. In Jesus' name, amen.